Happy Friday, Brother Truckers. This is another episode of the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast, Tales from the Road. This is the end of my final week getting paid by Turdwater. On Monday, I start my new job. Sort of a bittersweet transition, but you know how it is with change. Speaking of change, we're going to kind of change up the format here. This is only the second time that I'm doing a mailbag on the podcast, and I've only got two questions, but they're kind of big ones. And then I'll get into uh, a couple of anecdotes from my time at Brimstone. All right, so at Big Brother asks us, if you're not earning if the wheels aren't turning, does that make some kinds of loads or routes not worth your time? And if so, who ends up running those? Uh, The way I understand this is uh, that means that if we, you know, were to get a load that was for a very short distance or ultimately would net so little money that it wouldn't be worth it for me to go hook up to it and drive it like, you know, because we're paid by the mile, but the time involved wouldn't, wouldn't really recompense the, or, you know, compensate me for the cost. The way that it worked when I was at Castle Cargo was, excuse me, the pay scale changed depending on the overall distance of the load. So a customer would call Castle Cargo and say, hey, I need you to move 20,000 pounds of dog poop. Sorry, that's the first thing that came to mind. Uh, computer printers. That's nice and fancy. So I need you to move 20,000 pounds of printers, and the overall distance is 426 miles. So the broker, the salesman, they look at their scale and they say, okay, uh, anything between 400 and 500 miles pays at a rate of, let's say, 33 cents per mile. So then they would put all the information together and they would map it out from zip code to zip code. Say it was going from California to Arizona. They'd pick up, they'd look at the uh, the pickup zip code and the drop-off zip code and then, you know, get the, the fold, you know, distance there. And then they would send me to pick it up at the pickup dis- uh, zip code. I would grab the load and I would go to the drop-off zip code. Now, my hub odometer, the actual miles in the truck, might be a little bit more than the mileage on the load, but they do that to kind of standardize the the way that the customers pay and make it so that you don't have drivers purposely adding 20, 30, 40 miles to a load just to try to get more money. That's the kind of thing that cab drivers do. You know, the, the meter runs and so they'll take you on a roundabout way through a town you don't know just to run up the till. Um, now if, if the overall distance of the load goes down, say it's only a 200 mile load, the cents per mile goes up because they know that there's going to be a little bit more time involved with the onload and the offload. And if, if the scale was all the same, I would make less money. Uh, if it's complicated, trying to think about it too much, it's got a little bit more relevance. You'd, you'd see how it pans out if you actually get behind the wheel and do some long haul. But it starts to get a little bit less worthwhile once you get under about 50 miles. Uh, Anything under 50 miles is considered local. And when that happens, at least at Castle Cargo, they would pay you by the hour. Because they know you'd have to go somewhere in town. You'll be driving slow. You got to make a pickup and then you got to drive somewhere else in town. And then again, you'll be going slow. You'll get there. It'll probably be some big warehouse facility. It'll take them a while to get you in. And, you know, the company's kind of already made their money on that load by paying the long haul driver per mile. So they'll pay the local driver per hour. For me, it was $12 an hour. Wasn't that much, but 
very rarely did I have to do a local load. So, you know, again, it all came out in the wash, but that's how they would, you know, keep the prices competitive for the customer, make it so that the company wasn't losing money on these local loads and make it so that the driver made more delivering those local loads at the hourly rate than he would at the per mile rate. So, um, and if it's if it's not you know worth our time, then they might you know kick it down to uh, another local company that just has day cabs, and they'd say, hey, you know, you want to come move this for us, or you want to come move this for the customer and negotiate it right with them, because you know we're we're long haul, we do point to point, and there are sometimes going to be loads that are just small fry that really uh, would cost us money to try to pick up at our at our rates and on our scale. So that's how that works. Uh, the second question comes from at Brotorius who asked, you know, how many books did you listen to when you worked for Castle Cargo? That is a good question. I just pulled up my list of books that I read in 2013 because that was the year that I was on that long solo run and tried to tally it up. And it's, it's difficult to say, but it's somewhere in the range of uh, 65 to 80. Now uh, I didn't really distinguish between books that were in print versus books that were audio the only way that I distinguished on this list were um, whether I finished a book or not, because 2013 was the first year that I started to just throw away a book if I didn't care to listen to it. A lot of times I would get, you know, a book on CD from the library, excuse me, and then I would, you know, while I was home, I would rip it to my computer because I could do that pretty fast. And then that was a way to get it into my iPhone. And then I could listen to it at a higher than normal speed because, you know, most narrators don't talk all that fast. And, you know, I, I did have a lot of windshield time, so I did have time to listen to a lot of books at a regular speed, but I still didn't want to listen to them at regular speed. I wanted to listen to just stuff a little bit faster because it kind of forced my mind to keep moving fast. And I was a lot less likely to fall asleep behind the wheel doing that. Anyway, uh, let me run through the list real quick of what I listened to or read. Uh, Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor. Didn't care for it. It was kind of overhyped. Life After Theft by April and Pike. Read that one in print. I reviewed it a few weeks ago. Uh, if we survive, that one sucked. This Dark Endeavor by Kenneth Oppel. Um, the sequel to that one was called Such Wicked Intent. Those were both awesome, and I will do a separate episode on those two later. Perks of Being a Wallflower. That book sucked. Highly overrated. Silver Linings Playbook. Also sucked. Highly overrated. Uh, sucked, sucked. Kind of Okay. Uh, Everlost, I did that series a few weeks ago Sucked, sucked, sucked Last Call by Tim Powers, that one was cool uh, It was about using like voodoo and poker to steal years off of other people's lives Brothers Rivals Victors by Jonathan Jordan That was a non-fiction about uh, Dwight Eisenhower, George Patton, and Omar Bradley They were generals in World War II And at different points they were all in charge of each other uh, just a really fascinating look into the lives of three very different men who were all crucial in their own way to winning in World War II. The Rhythmatist by Brandon Sanderson. I've got an episode on deck where I'm going to record that one with my wife because I also want to have her review uh, The Goose Girl by Shannon Hale at the same time. I just felt like they, they kind of paired up well and it would make a decent episode. Uh, we've both read The Goose Girl, but she liked it a lot more, and so I wanted to uh, to have her review that one. Uh, sucked, 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 sucked. Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. That one was uh, was really fascinating to read. Uh, the movie from 2006 pretty closely followed the plot. They had to change a few things, like the bad guys were were Russian in in the book that you know because that was written in like the 50s, 
and they they changed where they were from just because it was more you know contemporary doing it that way. Uh, Scandal in Bohemia by Arthur Conan Doyle. That was me diving into uh, Sherlock Holmes. Such Wicked Intent by Kenneth Hopple. That's the second book to, in that series I was going to tell you about. Lando by Louis L'Amour. I guess you're not a trucker, not a long haul trucker, if you don't listen to some Louis L'Amour westerns behind the wheel. So that was uh, me doing that. Zombie Kid by J. Scott Savage. Good little middle grade paranormal fantasy about a kid who his aunt like accidentally turns him into a zombie and his friends have to save him. Spellbound by Larry Correa. That was the second in the uh, Grim Noir Chronicles series. Uh, I'm pretty sure I reviewed Hard Magic. Spellbound was just awesome. Awesome follow-up. Ocean at the End of the Lane. <sighs> My word, Neil Gaiman is so overrated. I do not understand it. Final Problem by Arthur Conan Doyle, another Sherlock Holmes book. Icefall by Matthew Kirby. I reviewed that one. Stiff by Mary Roach. That was an interesting nonfiction uh, about all the practical uses for cadavers. Um, more interesting than I expected it would be. Uh, After Hello by Lisa and Mangum. That was a cute little contemporary romance. Scarlet by Marissa Meyer, second in the Lunar Chronicles, which I reviewed last week. Quitter by John Acuff, a bit of a mo- motivational type book. My friend Andrea recommended that one. Uh, the, f- the Inventors something or other. Cragbridge Hall by Chad Morris, another good middle grade, not fantasy, sci-fi. It was a sci-fi. Inferno by Dan Brown. Don't waste your time reading Dan Brown. Good night. He's overrated. Legend by Marie Lu. Uh, Interesting setting. Um, The plot itself kind of reminded me of Tale of Two Cities, uh, meaning I kind of saw the bombshell at the end coming from a a distance. It sort of took the wind out of the sails, but not a bad book. Uh, reread Stormfront by Jim Butcher. Uh, I tried Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, and that was when I finally realized back then that, man, me liking a Neil Gaiman book is more of the exception than the rule. Servant of a Dark God by John Brown. I wanted to finish that one, but it, I had it in print, and uh, I think I was just having a hard time with it based on my schedule and stuff. I was having a hard time sitting and reading it. I finally like put it aside and just focused on what I was listening to at the time. Uh, Warbound by Larry Correa. That's the third of the Grim Noir books. Uh, I had reread Spellbound to remind myself of what had all happened coming up to uh, to Warbound, which came out that summer. Promise of Blood. That was an okay epic fantasy. And Nancy Boys by Neil Gaiman. Oh, perfect. That is going to be, uh, again, exception not the rule. And Nancy Boys is like a five-star book for me, and, and it's what made me keep trying other Neil Gaiman books because that one was just awesome. Uh, it was one of the first gaming books that I read. So I kind of expected that the rest of his stuff would be that good Lo, It was not, uh, but Anansi boys is going to be the first brother trucker book club book of the month that I do in 2020 in January. And I think you guys are going to like it. Excommunication by Peter Kleins. That's a zombie superhero novel. Patriot games by Tom Clancy. Talking about another very popular, very successful author that I just don't connect with. Like I get why his books are technically interesting, but, um, it just didn't resonate with me. Um, I fully admit that I might be the problem. My brother is over the moon for Tom Clancy books. He's read them all. Uh, it just didn't work for me. Uh, Holes by Lewis Sakar. I decided to read that one again. Uh, nonfiction by Goldberg. Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Epic Fantasy sucked. Uh, Australian stuff sucked. Demon sucked, sucked, sucked. Lonesome Gods by Louis L'Amour. That was... Uh, Another awesome Western, Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Ooh, okay. Yes, I've got a book coming in from the library, which is a nonfiction about how Disney intentionally killed the John Carter movie and why. Um, 
and I want to read that one before I do an episode about the first two books in Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter of Mars series, uh, which, by the way, I've just loved both those books, and uh, I, w- I want to know why Disney thought it was a smart idea to kill the movie, because the movie was good, too. Uh, opening Atlantis by Harry Turtledove. Man, so twice in four years I tried reading that book. It's kind of divided into three parts. Both times I had the same experience with it, like, oh, man, the third, the, the, the first part of this book is awesome. Okay, the second one is, it's an interesting development, and then you get into the third part of it. It's like, man, I have completely lost interest twice in a row. Harry Turtledove is the master of alternate history, and this is a series based on uh, the idea that there's a continent in the Atlantic Ocean between uh, North America and Europe, and some people find it in the you know 1600s, 1700s, and start settling it, colonizing it, and all that stuff. And it just you know, interesting to see the ways that it changes history, but. Uh, I'm not sure that it really stuck the landing in that first book. He, he wrote two sequels to it. I, at times I've been tempted to check it out, but I just keep, keep remembering that I didn't quite care for how the first book ended. Uh, Cloaked by Alex Flynn. I'll do an episode on that. Uh, I decided to reread The Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Visible Moon, that was all right. Steel Heart by Sanderson. <laughs> yeah, I told you about that one that happened when uh, I, I got that one shortly after having that tire that had been dragged on that trailer I was hauling that ended up screwing up my, my like a week of trip planning for me. Uh, Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orxy. Definitely recommend checking that one out. Um, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. I told you about blitzing that one in a week. Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Harry Pratchett. Um, you might have seen the trailers for the Amazon Prime series uh, of that book. I haven't finished watching the show. I got three episodes in. It was fine. I just you know, wasn't chomping at the bit to finish it, but the book was hilarious. And I'll do a review of that later. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The rest of them, I think I'll, I'll hold off on mentioning just because some of them are rereads and some of them I'll do episodes on later, but you, you get an idea of uh, the volume of stuff that I ended up reading when I worked for, uh, for Castle Cargo. And uh, like I said, I got very comfortable with the idea of just, tossing a book down if I wasn't into it. Even if I had the time to read it, my interest was a little bit more important than that. So that's it for the mailbag questions for this week. Uh, As for the short stories I was going to tell you, um, when I was working at Brimstone, well, let let me back up and just mention that trucking is, in a sense, about mitigating accidents, mitigating technical mishaps. And I've never worked at a company where I didn't have some kind of mechanical or technical problem with the vehicles that I was operating. <coughs> Sometimes it was just, you know, freak accidents, gremlin on the side of the bus type stuff. Other times it was user error. Like uh, when I worked at Castle Cargo, the first problem that I had was I had fallen asleep in the sleeper berth reading a book with the light on and that killed the battery. I was going to end up needing a jump start, but fortunately shutting everything off and waiting, I, I guess I was able to get enough juice to get the truck to turn over and start. And then throughout the day, the batteries recharged and and the issue disappeared. I was very fortunate. Other times it was just basic stuff. Like you'd hit a bump in the road and it would rip a mud flap off, or you would randomly get a nail on the sidewall of your tire. And then you'd have to pull off and, you know, wait for roadside assistance to come and, and give you a new one. This kind of stuff was, was basic. Uh, When I worked at luggers and stuff, luggers and such um, stuff broke all the time. Uh, my most common mishap there was, um, forgetting to raise the landing gear all the way. When I picked up the trailer to move it in the yard, I ended up dragging the landing gear and leaving streaks on the road. One of the guys, 
Oh, geez, Nielsen turd. One of these guys, one of the guys took a picture of me and like photoshopped me onto the back of the DeLorean from Back to the Future. You know how they, when it goes into the future, it leaves like these uh, flaming tread marks on the ground. He, he photoshopped me onto that as kind of an inside joke to let everybody know that I drug the trailers again. So, um, yeah, definitely not immune to that. But when I worked at Brimstone, I had a very cool boss who, you know, didn't, didn't downplay the cost or the inconvenience of me, you know, having a piece of equipment get damaged. Um, he just, he, he was good at inspiring me to do better. And, uh, I always wanted to, and anytime I had to screw up, you know, this was not by any decree of anybody else. I just, I, I felt so bad for the guys that were ultimately going to have to end up fixing something that broke on the truck or something that I broke on the truck that I kind of made it my habit to get up early and go to friendly's donuts and Henderson and, and grab a dozen and grab a thing of chocolate milk and leave it for the shop boys. Um, this was never more necessary than when I was driving the surface truck. This happened to me twice. And after the second time it happened, uh, Hefe gave me a nickname. He started calling me tank. It didn't really stick. Uh, it's one of those things where it's a cool nickname until you find out why I got it. So there is a, a fuel tank that is slung low on the side of the service truck and the service truck, despite being for a company that has to deal with refueling a lot of off-road equipment, the service truck itself was an on-road model. Uh, as such, I shouldn't have driven it out to meet the drills in the field as often as I did. I should have waited up even on a dirt road as, you know, cause the dirt roads were, they were dirt, but they were still flat. Sometimes I'd drive out into the bumpy fields and bad stuff would happen. Well, the first time this happened was on the Summerlin job where I was driving out to meet one of the drills. I filled it up and then I noticed that I was trickling from down in the tank and sure enough, lo and behold, I had punctured the tank by dragging it over a rock or, or something like that. And uh, I had to hurry back to the other side of town and get there before I ran out of fuel because that was cheaper than, uh, um, you know, hiring a tow truck to drag the service truck all the way back across the valley. And from then it was just the hassle of dismounting it, draining it, um, getting all the fuel out of it, which is an arduous process so that you could then, you know, weld a patch over it and then remount the tank. And, you know, I tried to be there to help as often as I could. One time I was driving the the bulk truck, the piece of crap 239 truck, and uh, just, you know, made a bad judgment call trying to exit a, a site that was very uneven. And I ended up, um, you know, kind of high centering it almost and rupturing an exhaust pipe. And so I made sure that I stayed there with Hefe and, you know, did all the dirty work of getting underneath the truck and unbolting all the exhaust parts. Exhaust is dirty in case you didn't know. Um, you know, so I, I, I tried to be there to, to do as much grunt work and idiot work and do the parts that nobody liked to do, um, provided I knew how to do them. But anytime I, I broke something, I just made it a point to put, try to be there to, to help because it was, it was no fun having to fix somebody else's mistake. The second time I was called tank, we were working at the I-11 bypass. And, uh, uh, again, in, in trying to save time by driving out to meet a drill on a road that I thought could handle me, um, I ended up hitting softer dirt than I expected. And in that dirt, there was a large jagged rock that when I drove over it, it popped up and then it rammed itself into the fuel tank and once again popped it. And we ended up having to take the fuel tank off there, drive it all the way back to the shop, drain it, fix it, run it back, put it back on the truck, fill it with a fuel cell. And so, yeah, I bought dinner and donuts that day. That was when I earned the name Tank. Um, 
the lesson that I learned from that was when I, whether I was at Luggers and such or whether I was at Brimstone, I was not impervious to mistakes. No matter how long I had been driving, um, no matter how many times I had done X, there was always a time that X could go wrong. And I was grateful that at Brimstone, at least, I was in an environment where uh, it was more constructive for me to own up to my mistakes. You always should own up to your mistakes and your errors. You should always own it when you make a screw up. But working at Luggers and such, you were you were punished for that more often than not. And that's not to say that mistakes shouldn't have consequences, but there's a difference between uh, a consequence and a punishment. Um, you know, at, at both places, I was inclined to to help mitigate the damage that I had caused, you know, as well as I could. But in different, at Brimstone, I worked with people that were a lot more, um, you know, constructive in dealing with those episodes. Uh, you know, my, my jefe, I could tell when I had, you know, pissed him off and, and he still like, he, he took it well and he, he knew how to get the best out of the people that worked for him, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which is, you know, you, you can, you can help somebody be more inclined to be honest by, by showing them that, okay, the net result of this is you have to help fix it and we'll get it done. And that made me, you know, want to bring in donuts, buy them dinner, you know, do whatever. Whereas if I knew I was just going to get yelled at and called an idiot and get cussed out and get, you know, no days scheduled for me for the next couple of days on some level, I can understand that too. But you know, working at luggers and such and being in that environment didn't foster any loyalty from me. And, uh, as I said last week on Tales from the Road, you know, the best that you can hope for from a job is that you, you work well with the people that you have to spend all day with. And ultimately that's what made me sign on with Brimstone after that first interview with Hefe was him saying like, look, you're going to come here, you're going to work here eight, 10, 12 hours a day with people. And nobody wants to to clock in knowing that they're going to have to deal with a certain jackass every single day. And I said, man, that's the situation I'm in right now. I definitely want to get out of it. And I definitely want to be that guy working for you. And so, you know, that's, that's all what it comes down to is, you know, from a bookkeeping standpoint, jobs are just a number. They're about a bottom line. They're about paperwork and money. But for the guys on the ground, if you're going to be forced to spend all day with somebody, you would hope that you get along. And uh, there's a way to foster that environment and still keep people responsible for their actions. And it, it starts with everybody having that that kind of initiative and that ownership of their own mistakes. And so I'm, I'm glad that I got to work in an environment and learn from a boss who, who valued people and, like I said, knew how to get the best out of them while still holding them accountable for, for what they did. So take that lesson and run with it. I'm sure some of you uh, could could use that, could apply that in some roles that you're in and in your homes or in your work. So that's it for today. Hope you've enjoyed this slightly longer edition of Tales from the Road. You know the drill. Drive safe. See you out there. I'll uh, record a couple of other episodes this weekend and uh, let you know how it goes uh, (laughs) driving out there for the new company. Till then, yeah. Love you guys. Thanks.